Welcome to the Think Free Rebellion, the podcast for independent thinkers to rebel against ignorance, manipulation, dogma, doctrine and the fears and temptations that stop us being ourselves and living our best lives. Go to MakeRelationshipsSimple.com to join us at an event or find more information. is um, it's going to be a little bit different because it's not going to be so, um, so much of a discussion as I want to share some ideas with you um, and it's about changing the nature of the group and the basis of the group um, and then so I'm going to run through some ideas if there, you have any questions about anything um, as I'm going along just um, interrupt me um, but I'm going to run through this and then um, we'll see, you can see like whether you agree or disagree. Okay, so the idea, so the basic idea is that if we have a group that's formed around relationships and people talk about sharing different perspectives, there's always a basis for conflict. Um, and so whenever you're dealing with conflict, you have to have a look, look at where's the point of agreement. And so I've been giving it a lot of thought to thinking of what's really behind, like personally, what's my philo philosophical view and where does conflict come in, in, in terms of it. So I want to start um, with a, pers a personal basis um, and then go as to how, I, why I think thinking free is the key to everything um, and then we'll work it back okay so when we talk about relationships or anything we're talking about different things because we've got different experiences and different perspectives and so oftentimes that means that there's a clash when people think they're talking about the same things but actually they're coming out from a completely different angle you know, there's the the old thing about you know, if six blind people come and see an elephant, they all have a different experience um, and they call each other liars because they don't understand from that frame of reference. So, um, okay, so the question of what's between you and your perfect life or your perfect relationship. Now, I want to um, share my my model of um, what that's about. about what um, causes us to, what's between us and the perfect um, basis um, and explain, uh, okay, here am I, and explain what, um, why from my perspective. So um, what we're looking at here is, I think that based on my, like I, I spent four or five years studying happiness um, before relationships and really what make, what happiness what makes someone happy is basically we have a blueprint we have a blueprint that we can't change it's genetically what we're built to be and so becoming happy is a, is a journey of growth it's a journey of growth into becoming more of who we are and expressing that potential that we have so this is kind of representing that journey. Now, what happens for a lot of people, for most people probably, 
is somewhere they get swayed off course. And so in terms of relationship, you can become stale or they can become bored. They can become bitter or even things go really wrong and they get end up with um, in somewhere that, you know, it's quite toxic. So what is, so I was looking at what, you know, why do people get swayed off? And in the airline industry, they have a um, one in 60 rule. So basically a flight path is similar to this, that an airplane will set off and it's aiming for wherever it's going to land. But all the time it's getting buffeted by wind, by turbulence, by all these factors which take it off course. Now, so in the airline industry, the one in 60 rule is that for every 60 miles an airplane travels, every one degree it's off is going to be one mile off. So um, James Clear in, in Atomic Habits talks about if, if an airplane sets off from Los Angeles and it's three and a half degrees off, by the time it would have reached New York, it's instead in Washington, D.C. And so I think that's an analogy for what happens in our life and in our relationships is that there's what we're meant to be and then we get swayed off so we don't actually become that. So why do we get swayed off? And that's really three things. There's um, ignorance. So in the, in the example of the, of the planes, like planes have crashed when, the air, when there was a miscommunication between them and the air traffic control so that they thought they were in a different place. Um, and so obviously they're like crashing into a mountain when they weren't expecting anything to be there. So what happens to us individually is we're born helpless. We're born not knowing anything. And so we have to learn the ways of the world because we can't become and we can't operate in the world like from day one. So we grow up helpless and we grow up and, and our parent or caregiver is looking after us, but they're also telling us all the traditions, all, all the rules and all the customs of our society. And that's the way that we pass on information generation to generation. And a lot of that is useful because otherwise, you know, we'd start from day one. We have fire, we have technology, we have everything that we have because we don't have to start from the beginning again. And so then we've institutionalized these ways of passing on values and beliefs and expectations. And this comes from um, the wider culture from so that we go to school, we've got the media that which has, um, is giving us certain ideas and values, um, religion, and all of these um, kind of things. So they're basically giving us the map. But the map that they're giving us isn't necessarily our map. So we've talked about the fairy tale framework, and it's one of the biggest things that sways people off in terms of relationships. Um, and this is a mistaken, this, um, this is something that we're told and we're set up with expectations and beliefs and assumptions that aren't actually true. And so 
there's a lot of things and even without meaning to like when you're five years old and the teacher tells you shut up nobody wants to hear from you when they say hey we like when you're made to feel stupid all of these things become lessons to us all of these things become fears that we don't stand out we don't say what we really mean and so all of this sways us off our individual unique path so there's three other ways well there's three ways so one is ignorance and it may be that we don't know um, what we're doing we don't know like we haven't got an accurate map or it may be that the assumption or the expectation or belief wasn't true then the other two are fear and a lot of the times the fear comes from, you know, like the idea of public speaking is, is the biggest fear because of we're afraid of what other people tell us because we've, we've been told certain things and we've learned certain things a lot in our childhood. So that makes it frightening to stand out. It makes it frightening to stand up for what you believe as opposed to what you're told and what everyone else thinks is true. And so then the other way is that there's all these shiny objects so um like the get rich quick schemes the the idea the hacks and the shortcuts and all these kind of things which are tell us that we need to do a certain thing say a certain thing so in terms of relationships like what stops us is fear um so for example if you're dating it's the fear of standing out it's the fear of rejection um, if you're in a relationship and um, it's the fear of being honest the fear of being vulnerable so what's the shiny object so it may be that someone's so attractive that you're swayed off course because okay they're not the perfect person but they're so hot or it may be that you you desperately want it to work with a certain person who, who isn't the person who's, who's going to be right for you. Okay. Um, right. So where are we looking? Um, so where was I? So in terms of um, being swayed off by other people's, like by, by media references and things, I just want to um, use one example is, does everyone know the story of the De Beers diamonds? No. The what, sorry? Of De Beers diamonds. So basically it's the story of why um, in 1930, 10% of engagements use, um, engagement rings were, were diamond rings. Um, now it's something like 75, 75 to 80%. And so basically that was um, a concerted concerted advertising campaign for a generation of women so diamonds didn't have a lot of use and the birds had funded this big expedition to find precious resources and they found these um, mines of of diamonds and they had this glut of diamonds that there was no market for and so there wasn't really any value and so they tasked advertising agencies for about 30 years to try and work out different approaches to, to find them a market. And essentially what they did 
was like the winning campaign was they targeted a, a whole generation of women from about 15 to late 20s so this was in the about 1930s um so all the women who were um of um uh, like thinking about pro being proposed to there and they basically told them a diamond lasts forever if your boyfriend proposes to you and he doesn't use a diamond ring he doesn't mean it forever he doesn't really care and so what happened was this there's this pressure on the girls that if they had a an engagement ring that wasn't diamond there was a sense of you've accepted an engagement ring from a, a boy that doesn't care about you and so they then put pressure onto um boys and say well no no i want a, a diamond ring and then they came out with all these campaigns like um if your boyfriend doesn't like what what's a, a lifetime of happiness worth um isn't it worth uh, a couple of months of your way couple of months of wages and so basically in the generation the diamond ring became like standard for no other reason than the fact that the burrs needed needed a marketplace to sell their diamonds and so when we look at the messages that we get from the media and when when you look at magazines when you look at tv all of them are exist their business model was to exist in order to sell advertising and so when you're looking at social media um it's basically the same thing that you, and it, as it said like if you if you aren't paying for something you are the product and so when we look at um so when we look at the way that like and i'm not here with the conspiracy theory i'm not i'm not, I'm not bashing um economics or, or money but when we have to look at the motivation of advertising and media is basically to sell us stuff and so how um so when we look at where does that lead to like a commercial marketplace leads to being creating so i want to use the food industry as an example so the food industry like if you if you have a raw potato it's not really worth very much if you make it into chips it's worth a lot more and if you make it into crisps it's worth a lot more but what you've really done is you've taken a basic food and you've made it less nutritious so food so, so the food industry works by pandering to our taste buds as in sugar fat salt and so like we now decades later have an obesity crisis because they're creating the food that's going to that's going to compel us make us crave and make us buy their products and so it becomes a rush to who can have the most sugar who can have the most salt in in the in the tastiest way so that we it becomes addictive and and we we have those foods and so that's really what happened over over 30 40 years in the food industry 
and so why we now have uh, an obesity crisis. Now, when you look at, in terms of information and social media, well, social media is, their business model is to sell our attention. And the way that they get our attention is by, you know, things that, things that are either polarize us and outrage us. Um, and sh so there's this culture of outrage and is like uh, people were talking about in social dilemma and, and other places that basically what you see in your newsfeed is individual to what you believe. Because so for example, if you want to advertise on Facebook, you're not allowed to say anything that, might target someone or might make someone feel uncomfortable because if it if it's challenging it makes someone feel uncomfortable they're not going to spend as long on facebook so facebook blocks those those ads out and so basically what we all get in our feeds are the people that we agree with the groups and the, the pages and things that we already agree so we're not and, and what that leads us to is groupthink, which is basically where people who, who believe the same thing make poor decisions because they don't have the diversity of opinion. So, um, okay, so, so basically um, what I'm saying is the world out there is kind of pushing us to fit into its ideas. It's, uh, it's either wanting to sell us stuff, whether it's products with our money or whether it's an ideology. Um, and when you look at like, so you can see this play out in, in the recent Trump um, thing and, and to a lesser extent in Brexit in terms of we don't actually get to see the facts we get to see the conspiracy theories we get to see the dramatics and the polarized sides and so it, it pushes people apart and it stops open and honest um, debate okay so so that's where we get um swayed off by ignorance or by um assumptions or beliefs or expectations that aren't actually true and then we get swayed off by fear um, because our, our narrative makes us afraid to be honest, um, makes us feel unworthy, makes us feel we're missing out. or um, and So that's how we stray. Um, we stray in terms of when something is easy. So, <clears throat> so that's really the three ways that we get straight, that we stray off our path. So does that make sense so far? Could you repeat what the three ways are, please? Yeah, so it's ignorance, which which is like not having an accurate path or being swayed off, um, and fear and desire. Okay, so the next bit I want to talk about is the difference between when we navigate that path, the way that we get swayed off in terms of fear and desire, and often also ignorance, is by emotions. Now, um, I'm like sometimes 
like um, when I describe things, it's very logical and sometimes it can seem cold. And so I want to kind of um, talk about why that is. Is that there is when we're so for example when we're talking about a relationship when we're in a relationship we're in it for the emotion and so the the benefit of being in the relationship is the emotional side the way that we can judge the quality of a relationship is by the emotions when we feel good we're on our path when we feel bad it's because we're off our path so the why and the, and the way that we evaluate the relationships is all emotional. However, the problem is that people use emotion to navigate. So when you're making a decision, so like if, you, for example, if you had a GPS that worked on navigation and said, okay, we're going to go down this road because, because this is a really pretty road or I really like this route, we're going to take this route, you'd end up in a different place. And so when we navigate our emotion, when we navigate our relationship or even our life based on emotion, we take the wrong path because the role of navigation is, the, is mediating what we want with where we are. And if we disregard the reality of where we are and like the map of the land, then we're just going where we want to go and that's where we get swayed off. So logic is the bridge between what you want and where you want to go. So logic is a terrible reason to be in a relationship is a terrible reason to judge. Where people overthink is when, where they try to judge their relationship through logic. So the emotion is for how the relationship's going, you judge based on emotion why you want to be in a relationship is for the emotional feeling. But when you make emotional, like, so like when people really, really attach to someone and they say, you know, like, and I've seen people who are in abusive relationships and they go, but I love him. And I, you know, I, 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 I can't leave. Um, so um, that's like, or, or because, we're attached to a certain outcome or because we're afraid of something happening. When we make decisions from that, that's where we go off course. Okay. So thinking freely is about looking at why are you doing what you're doing? And is it because it's, is it what's on your path? Is it because of what you've been told? Is it a dogma? Is it a, a, a false assumption? Is it a false expectation? Is it an emotional decision? Or is it relate to where you are, where the logic, like where the path is, where the reality of the situation and where you want to go to? So going back to the airline, um, so, so, so it's really about thinking freely of bias. And that can be emotional bias, cognitive bias. Um, so there's lots of ways that we're cognitively biased. So, for example, one example in the airline industry is that they found that they were, I think this was in the late 60s, 
And when they looked into a lot of crashes, they saw that it was like the pilot had ha was having a bad day, he was tired or, or something. For some reason, he was off that day. Now, up till then, pilots were like, they're the captain, they're the authority. They were like the gods of the, of the um, crew. And so out of respect and out of fear, no one challenged them. And so what they found was people were aware of problems. They were aware that they were going off track. They were aware that um, like they shouldn't be doing what they were doing. But no one challenged the pilot. And so this was two or three flights that ended in crashes. Um, and from the evidence in the black box and that, that they were able to work out. And so what they now have is they have something called crew resource management. And so it's basically a way in which um, the crew, like the pilots, have to actively encourage differences of, of opinion and diversity of opinion um, and to make sure that there's no doubts. So, and so what that does is it pr provides more safety mechanisms. And so, and so um, like the airline industry had a similar um, failure rate to the medical industry. Um, and it's been compared um, in, uh, I think it's Matthew Sayadin in Black Box Thinking compared the two. Um, and the airline industry now has almost minimal human error. Um, whereas the medical industry still has huge amounts um, of doctor um, medical professional error. And the reason is that the airlines never use blame. The airlines look at, okay, where's the problem? And they encourage people to share mistakes. So when, when there's like a near miss, pilots there's never any um repercussions for saying that this is like this is um this is a mistake i did whereas in the medical industry um there has been that kind of like doctors are gods and surgeons are gods and you, you can't question them and so what's happened is they've hidden um, mistakes and they've they've tried to bamboozle them and um, for fear of being sued they've not accepted blame and so what it's created it's created an environment where people can't admit mistakes where people can't and and basically they're not learning from their mistakes so um, so the so that's so that's really like the authority bias. And then there's like sunk costs where we've invested so much in something that we've invested so much in a relationship. I don't want to leave it. There's social proof. Everyone else is doing this. Um, so there's, there's lots of different biases that we, we have. Okay. So now um, I want to talk about, so is that, does anyone have any questions about that? Would you say that the authority bias is like, um, an ego thing when you're doing it to yourself saying I know best I know everything when you don't because you're not looking at your mistakes it can be if, um, that that's probably 
Well, I suppose, yeah, that's a, that's a different slant on it, but it's usually like there's an authority bias. Like, for example, there was um, first study um, that um, of Milgram, like if you know Milgram and, and Ash's uh, studies of obedience, where basically people would give electric shock to the point of killing people because they were told to. Um, and this was a lot of studies after the Nazis of um, why, why did so many Nazis go along with Hitler? Um, and they found, um, so, <clears throat> so for example, the first studies were people in white coats. Like if, if you're at Stanford University and someone's in a white coat going, you need to do this, there's an authority. If someone is, if the government tells you to do it, um, it's authority, we do it. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so yes, yeah, so it's believing that someone knows better than you, really. Okay. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if I've uh, understood how the black box thinking is related to the maybe the the relationships and going off course and happiness. Um, okay, so the, the central point is that it's staying on course, um, and the, the so the black box thinking is an example of how that goes off course so it's okay so yeah so that was a more, more organizational viewpoint and that was related to the idea that if you don't have diversity of opinion like if you don't have different views that challenge you um you believe that you're right so it as individuals and even in the relationship it's a closed system so we only know what's within. There's, there's like a certain map within that. And our map is not completely accurate to reality. Um, and so the only way that we can get an accurate map of reality is by different opinions. And so what happens when you're on Facebook and, and they're like pandering to, to keep your attention means that you don't get any different opinions. So um, if, if you don't find other sources of ideas and opinions different to your own, then you're like the pilot who's sure that they're going headlong, but not aware of the mistakes that we're... Um, yeah, um, yeah, so it's really closed-mindedness versus open-mindedness. Right. So you're saying you, you kind of you need you need corrective feedback to make sure you're on course. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, because otherwise you 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 only see what you knew. Like in terms in, in order to grow and to have a clearer map. Okay. So um, now to bring this more directly to relationships, I'm just going to share. Uh, where is it here? Okay, so there's lots of types of relationships, but really I want to summarize them into two groups. So there's above the line, which I call um, artisanal relationships. And basically the, um, the above the line is based in freedom. It's based in freedom where both individuals are free to be themselves 
to be accepted, to be supported, and to be enjoyed as themselves. And the below the line relationships are relationships where one or both isn't free to be themselves. And so it's a relationship that's based in control, manipulation, or at worst, force and abuse. And so the fundamental difference between them is we've got three lines here. So if we start with the above the line relationship, it starts with the individuals have integrity. And so if your partner has integrity, then that the response is that they build trust. And so you have a trusting environment. And when you have a trusting environment, you're free to have a more fun climate. So the climate of the relationship then becomes fun. If you come to a relationship with respect, like genuine respect for the person, meaning like you understand, you listen, and you care about them, then the response is going to be loyalty. And that creates a climate of appreciation. If you come with generosity and with kindness, then the response is going to be empathy and compassion. And so the, the climate, that creates a climate where both feel free to communicate honestly. And so this, the above the line, is where both individuals are coming so that the three key ingredients are integrity, respect, and kindness. Now, they really work on a spectrum. And so you've got a spectrum from integrity to deceit. You've got a spectrum from respect to contempt. And a spectrum from kindness to criticism. And so integrity is based on someone who's honest and have, has ethics, whereas deceit is based in dishonesty and pragmatism and doing what's practical rather than what's right. Respect is based on a basis of understanding and empathy, whereas contempt is from a basis of judgment and apathy. So kindness is based on consideration and generosity whereas criticism is thoughtlessness and selfishness. And so if someone comes to a relationship with anxiety, then the response is, is going to be doubt, which leads to a culture of and a climate of deceit. If someone comes with hostility, uh, um, sorry, it's deceit leads to doubt, leads to anxiety. Um, and if someone comes with a foundation of contempt, um, the other person's gonna um it's gonna lead to a uh, response of stonewalling which is then hostility <clears throat> and these two stonewalling and defensiveness can be interchanged but criticism then can lead to de defensiveness or stonewalling which then leads to poor a, a climate of poor communication 
Okay. Um, so does anyone have any questions on that part? Can I ask, where did that uh, uh, that framework come from? Is that your own stuff that you've put together? Yeah. Oh, it's very good. Thank you. Okay, so so basically the, the main idea from that is that we need to be um, operating above the line. And so the above the line um, actually comes from uh, power versus force. Um, so I think I've got... I've got um, yeah, so the idea of... Um, so power versus force um, is a book from David Hawkins. And the, the gist of his argument is that there's a line. And below the line is um, uh, force, that people use force, societies use force. So it's about control. It's about we have to make people do this. We and we have to um, somehow, whether it's manipulation, whether it's controlling the propaganda, whether it's... Um, punishment, manipulation, any of those things, we have to make someone do it. Power is those people who are above the line. And so the difference between power and force is that force is you're making something happen. Power is that you have the power and you're allowing it to happen. So it means that you have the power that you you inspire people rather than um, coerce them. So I'll just show you um, uh, David Hawkins' graphic. Now, um, so basically he goes from shame to guilt to apathy to grief to fear to, to desire to anger to pride. And then courage is where you're above the line. That's where he puts the line. Now, wherever we decide on the line and wherever we agree. I, um, I don't think the numbers are so important, but I think we have a general idea that there's a line where we operate above, where, the, where there's the best of us, and there's a line that we operate below that we know we could do better. So the key to integrity, respect and kindness is really us individually living above the line. Because when we're below the line, if we're in, say, fear, desire, grief, apathy, we don't feel so good about ourselves. We need something from the relationship. Um, whereas when we're above the line, we don't need it. And we feel more free to let other people be themselves. So the, so the philosophical basis for the Think Free Rebellion is that we have, since like the agricultural age of like 10,000 years, we formed a society and we needed to share certain ideas. And what grew from that were institutions of social control. So we're talking about the government, we're talking about church, were the, the two predominant ones. And 
what grew from that was an idea that I, I think probably is a religious idea is that we're savages who need to be controlled. And so, so the basis of um, a lot of doctrine and dogma is that if people aren't controlled, they'll be savages who, who rape, steal, cheat, lie, kill each other. And so what that leads down to is the idea that we need an authority to tell us what to do. And so, um, and so like if, if you're going to fight wars, if you're going to get an election, which you, we've, we've seen in the Trump thing, that the basis for power is our attention, our vote, our, us paying, us buying stuff. And so there's a lot of conditioning, control and manipulation to get compliance. Um, because we need, we've needed, you know, when you look at, so I've been watching Game of Thrones again recently. And when you look at that, it's all kind of playing the game for their, for an individual power. But when you look at the people who are fighting the war, a lot of wars, we don't have, we, we're just the same as them. But someone wanted to make a power grab, someone wanted a resource, and so people lose their lives. So when this comes down to say, okay, we need shared ideas, and I'm not saying we should um, like fold society, we need the shared ideas of society wouldn't work if we didn't all believe in money. Society wouldn't all work if we didn't have an agreed code of conduct. The problem is, while we've become stronger, richer, and more powerful as societies, individually, our, our levels of happiness, as our levels of anxiety, our levels of relationship um, happiness, our levels of suicide, our levels of depression, have escalated because when it comes down to you individually that what makes you individually isn't for the good of society it isn't good for the company that's paying for the advert it isn't good for the media that's selling to businesses and so What's happened, like when you look at relationships, what's happened is this idea of family values. And if the relationship breaks, it's your individual error. But when you have 55% of relationships breaking, that's not individual error. That's a systemic problem. So the basis of free thinking is that people are in, mostly inherently good but they do bad things when they feel bad. And so when people are below the line, that's when they do things that are destructive. That's when they do things, that's when they lie. Um, that's when they're judgmental. That's when they're critical. And so my philosophical belief is that if everyone was happy, 
we'd have a kinder world. And the best solution for a happier world is for happier individuals. So the basis of the free thinking rebellion and the basis for the group is looking at individually, because it's not for us to agree for anyone else. Everyone has to agree for themselves. But it's the agreement that we don't have control. We don't need to have anyone agreeing with us. We don't need to anyone else to agree with us. We don't need to further any particular ideology. Um, but we need to be clear. We need to be clear what we're operating on. Is it operating for us to become who we're meant to become for our blueprint? Or is it that we've either swayed emotionally or from ignorance or from some kind of dogma? So everyone is the author of their own life. And we're here to consider what we believe and um, but ultimately all of us are responsible for our, our life and our choices so that's the idea of the free thinking rebellion any questions or comments how, how does a person like uh, carry out free thinking then so, um, and, and so this isn't meant to be comprehensive, but it's, it's, this is the shared basis of the group moving forward. Um, so free thinking is you look at why am I doing what I'm doing? So, okay, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. So I'm not like in that happiness I've got, I've swayed off path. Why have I swayed off? Is it because I something like you have to be really honest did I get swayed off by a shortcut? Did I get, um, or did I, was I afraid to do something? Or did I just not know? So you have to look at what are the beliefs, what are the assumptions and what are the expectations. So if you're unhappy, it's because of the expectations. If you're unhappy with where you are, it's because of the assumptions that you've made that have led you to that, to navigate in that way. Does that make sense? So it's so, just about looking inwards, introspective, to see what you've done wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not necessarily. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, ultimately, really, yes. Like the basis we're here is to. Um, I think it's like the friction. You know, like when you have um, uh, two stones. So, so, like, basically, how do you sharpen a knife? You with you have like a stone that sharpens the knife because the friction of it takes away what wasn't there, like, like what um, was there but didn't need to be. So really, when I look at relationships and I, and I talk to people about relationships, it's not everyone thinks that they need to learn. Um, they need to learn, OK, what, what text do I send? What message do I send? What, pro, what do I write on my profile? It's none of those things. It's really what are you doing? What are you believing that isn't true? Because a relationship really is two people. You get to their core and they connect. That's all you need. The, the problems between them are, and this is, 
see, you see, when it comes to, if you're looking at, if you look for relationship advice or dating advice on Facebook or YouTube, it's going to be, you're going to get millions of views and it's going to be, send this text. It's going to be, these are the exact words you need to send to have girls falling at your feet. And so what that does is that tells you, I need to, oh, I need to know this. And then it's all set up with this sales funnel that tells you this is this privileged information and I'm only going to share it with you and you have to make sure, what's the line? You have to make sure that um, you're not going to, you, if I hear anyone's not using it falsely or something, I'm going to take it away. Um, or um, this is the secret thing that I've got and my friend uh, who revealed it, you know, like basically all these is setting up that they know something that you don't know. And really, you know everything you need to know. You just have learned some things that you that are getting in the way. And a lot of that comes down to um, fear. Mm. The, the thing with that, sorry, I, I'm not sure if I'm breaking the rules because I'm, I'm new here. Am I allowed to kind of just ask yeah, questions no, no. freely? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so in the same way, like this isn't here me telling like today is a, because I want to share, share a new basis, but the standard I, I like, I, I'll share my ideas, but my ideas have no more value than anyone else's. So mm. it's, it, yeah, that's, that's the basis. No. So now you've got the exact spirit of it. Sure. All right. So, oh, sorry. 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 Go ahead. Okay. Um, sorry. Um, finish, finish, finish the candidate. Finish, finish. We'll, we'll go to Sandra. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So, okay, yeah. So, um, God, no, a bit of pressure. I forgot what I'm going to say. Uh, it's okay, Sandra, go ahead. I've flopped. <laughs> oh, I had okay. something in my mind, but it's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just jump in later if you remember. Sure. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, yes, it's an individual. Um, as an individual, you're going through this process and you're asking yourself these questions. Um, if you're a single person, you have several degrees of freedom within which to navigate and internalize and question yourself and um, do a self-assessment. If you're part of a relationship, you're in a relationship and you're doing this introspection, you are arriving at at probably more questions but you're also probably coming drawing certain conclusions if the person you're in a relationship with is um not open to any shifts in the relationship or any changes within you um how do you move that process forward how do okay. you how do you navigate in that scenario well, to me, that sounds like, so let me just go back to um, this. So if someone, so the above the line relationship is based in accepting how you are, who you are, and, and that means changing. Um, and what that means is that they change around that and you still act with integrity, still respect who you are, um, and is still generous because if you if someone doesn't ex accept that then that means it's a below the line relationship and the fact that you have that means sooner or later there's other things that they're going to disagree on and that's where it becomes about because if someone isn't accepting what you believe 
how you act, you're not free to be you, then it's a below the line relationship because it's based in control. Which may mean that if you want to evolve and be the best you, you may have to get out of that relationship. That's that's where I was heading it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the, the real value of this, the real point of this is that these are the three must-haves in any relationship. So you need someone who's got integrity, who's got respect, who's got kindness, because when you have that, you can have the communication. If someone says, no, this is the way it is and I'm not going to accept anything else, then that leads to all, all the below the line relationship. So well, just can, I ask, uh, can I ask you to give a definition of respect? What does it mean when you say you respect someone? Okay, so um, it means that I see you for who you are. And I respect you for who you are. So yeah, I can't use respect, can I? <laughs> so I see you for who you are and I value you as the individual that you are. Is that good enough? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, it's basic. It's basically means taking you as an individual, not to fill a role, not to fit certain criteria, but to be you. But then respect is subjective then, because if I say I respect uh, person A and means I value that, I look up to that, and person B, they might be living their life according to their own uh, authenticity. But if I say I don't respect that person, that means it's my values that they're not living up to. So it's subjective then, respect. Um, no. Not everybody's going to command no. respect from me then if it's subjective. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, okay, so respect it means, yeah, okay, yeah, it is subjective because we respect different people. So the right person for you is is not going to be the right person for someone else um, because you're going to respect them based on your values. Mm. Um, so there's a level of respect based on someone's human. Um, mm. And I think everyone's based on someone's what? A human. A human. human, a human being, mm. because someone's a human being. Someone's a living, like if someone's a living creature, an animal deserves respect. If someone's a, a, a human being, they deserve respect. We're this, we're the same. We're essentially the same. When so, a lot but when of you say deserve, about, does does anybody deserve respect? Because would, wouldn't it be more the case that respect is earned? I mean, do people um, deserve it by de default? I think there's a certain level that you're a human being. Um, so a lot of people talk about high quality, low quality, and that yeah, because is subjective. It, 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 it doesn't sound enough to say, well, you're a human being, therefore you deserve my respect. Because, hmm. I mean, take the instance, I, I, I've recently fallen out with an old school friend, and I have to say I've lost all respect for her because she... She drinks heavily, which is fine because I've done that in the past myself to self-soothe. But when I spoke to her about it, she doesn't want to progress in life at all. And my honest response is I've lost respect for her. So I can't say I'm going to give her respect by default just because she's a human being. Yeah, That person has to have some sort of way of meeting what my standards of respect are, of what yeah. I value. So, so what I mean is, um, 
as a human being, there's a certain level of, of respect. Okay. That's the, like the base level. Then if someone does something bad, like if someone's, you know, is cruel, whatever, then, you know, that's, that's um, like a, that goes down in the respect. But then there are people like your friend and you can understand the situation, but she's not, um, so she's lower down in the respect. Right. And in order to be in a relationship, you have to be with someone that um, you value. So there has to be some shared values. Um, so you're looking at someone. So like it, in, in above and below the line, there's a line of someone that you respect. You have enough shared values with that you respect them as a human being. You respect their ethics, their morals. Um, and so you respect them enough. So when someone falls below the line, then you re you respect them as a human, but not as someone that you want to be in a relationship with. I think a more appropriate word for that base level of respect may be that you acknowledge their right um, to be a human being with certain privileges and whatever, whatever they yeah. are. I, th I think I agree with Sandra. Yeah. If, if, they, if they're just on the basic level, I might not use the word respect. I might just say, okay, you're a human being, you have a pulse, you're entitled to live your life as you see fit. But I'm not going to say, I respect you, I don't. Okay. That's that's the point. So uh, there's a base level that we treat all human beings at, which is we acknowledge their right to, you know, exist, to breathe air, to whatever, to be, to speak etc etc and you allow them that that right but to have respect to me that is something that is an active an active thing yeah. and it is something that is earned and when you when you hold someone in respect you hold them in esteem in esteem so it's not enough to say that yeah. the base level base level was at the base but when you actually respect someone you're actually looking up to them in esteem yeah, you're actually using additional criteria to differentiate among those people that have this, that yeah. you have at this okay. basic level, and that yeah. people. Yeah, I think you show respect to everyone, but you respect, but there's, yeah, there's a certain criteria. Um, you show yeah. regard. Yeah, that's a better way okay, of putting okay. it. <laughs> See, this is yeah. where the terminology, but yeah, yeah. okay. So show regard, show regard and then you, there's respect. respect. I think it's. I, I think that's an important distinction that Sandra's making because, again, when someone's at the base level, I'm not showing them respect. I, I can show them regard, but not respect. And I think respect really means you're looking up to someone and it's not everybody that's going to have your values that you will actually look up to them. Okay, so, yeah, so I, I think, think respect we've got is earned with a little bit of familiarity. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I think you 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 interact with the person to get to 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 be able to respect somebody. You have to know something about that person. You have to interact with that person on some level, and it is that information that you use to filter. Well, you use your it filters through your own cultural filters. Yeah, respect is not default. And yeah, and based on what um, you see as good in that person or bad and you go through your checklist even though it might be subliminal in, in, in a sense you arrive at a position that i respect that person 
if there's no interaction, then really you can't say that you um, respect somebody truly, I, I think. Isn't it sort of like, I mean, I agree that there's some people you have in your life that you wouldn't want to have in your life, some people that you would, but if there's, I personally believe that we're all like, um, divine from God, like we all are created in God's image. So it's not really for me just because somebody's doing something that I don't agree with to not have at least a form of respect for them as an equal on this earth. Like everybody has got the right to walk their own path. And it's not really for me to say if something's right or wrong. Alicia, you're very generous. I'm afraid I don't uh, see all people as divine. <laughs> well, but but that's what I what that's what I was referring to as regard um, for people for the for the right of a human being to exist in a certain with the rights and privileges of any other human being. But respect, I think, is an active phenomenon, um, and it is something that you go through a process of um, examination and um, it comes from the cues that you see from the other person. You don't, you, you don't just automatically respect um, an individual because, because that's just the individual. You have to have some kind of interactive, some information. And that information is going to in, um, is going to um, be looked at by you, and it is on that basis that you determine whether or not they deserve to have your respect. Yeah, you have to scrutinise. It's not by default. It's I think, default. as like Rob was saying, in terms of like a relationship, though. So, if if someone's done something that you don't respect anymore, it's it's more the act that you don't respect. But as the the person, it's like that sort of. Do I show respect to people that deserve and earn respect? Or do I want to be somebody that's a respectful human being that shows everybody respect no matter what? But that doesn't but Sasha, what's the difference? What's the difference between the person and their act? You're saying that they've done an act that you don't respect. Yeah. But how can you respect them if they're living in a way so, that they're well, acting in a way that you don't respect? Yeah, no, but what I think what Rob was saying is, so that would be the difference between wanting to be in a relationship with them or not, but you could still treat them with like a certain level of respect in terms of the way your mannerisms come across to them if they've done something that you don't respect. I, I used to personally work in um, drug and alcohol treatments. Um, and I'm only saying that because you mentioned about um, your friend having a problem with alcohol. Now, there's all walks of life that used to come in uh, to see me personally. People who didn't have two pennies to rub together, who were living out on the streets and didn't know where they were sleeping that night. I worked with politicians. I worked with journalists. I worked with all sectors of the society, magistrates. The one thing that they had in common was uh, the addiction issue. I didn't agree with it, but I respected that each and every one of them had a reason for doing it. And... Each and every one of them had hidden things in terms of what they came and they told me about. It was only a very small snapshot of their lives. And each and every one of us has got things that are hidden. You know, if you're going on a date, you're talking about relationships, that's the, that's the basis of, the, of, this, um, of this group. If you're going on a date, you're not going to know everything about somebody within a couple of hours you can live with somebody for years on end and still not know that other person and you find out 
things that you didn't want to find out about them. Um, but going on to respect, it doesn't mean that you have to uh, uh, agree with what someone's behaviour is. It just means that you you have to consider that there's things in their in their lives and that they've they've made choices and whether you agree with it or not, those choices are, are right for them and, and that's something to be respected. Uh, just say something. Uh, um, sorry. Goodbye. Sorry, uh, um, sorry. I didn't mean to butt in, but I'm just wondering whether we are um, confusing the difference between being respectful to somebody and having respect for someone. Yeah. Because being respectful to someone means you know you treat them with some form of decency, whether you think they're a total you know lost to society. But having respect for them is around agreeing with their decision and actions. Mm. So. Um, yeah, um, I think that's a good point. Um, so, in, in terms of um, in terms of the relationship, I think you have to, of course, you have to value them, you have to respect them. But the 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 key thing is you also have to be respectful, um, in, and you have to respect. You know, as you were saying, Sandra, what about if one person doesn't want to? Well, the respect really is the part that means that I don't agree with what you do, but I respect your choice to have that. So in terms of people, every every couple is going to have a splitting point. And a lot of couples, they'll get together and they'll look for someone who has exactly the same values, exactly the same ideas, with the idea that they're going, they're less likely to have a difference, but everyone sooner or later will come to a point where they disagree, like point blank on something, and the ability to respect each other, even when you disagree with the choices, is is the key to the above the line. So, I think there is an element of value that you have to have a, a, a respect as a value as as how you value people but it's it's respect also in the terms of i understand you i don't treat you as an object i don't treat you as a role as as a partner um as a lover as a, a wife as a husband as a boyfriend as a girlfriend i treat you as a person and i want to know what makes you make those decisions and even though i might not agree with them and there's a line of where you agree because if you don't value someone then you, you that's not someone you want to be in a relationship with so there's the respect in terms of valuing but it's also the being respectful in terms <clears throat> in terms of understanding and allowing them their choices I think we also have to be careful about what we think um, is deserving of respecting another person. And um, sometimes there may be something that's that that person is grappling with that we don't like and, or and doesn't fit in with, you know, the way we want to live our lives. But um, is it that 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 thing may make you lose respect for the person. Uh, I think there are two elements to that. 
if a person is trying to remedy, say it's an addiction, for want of a better example, um, do you automatically lose respect because they have this addiction? Or do you look at them and see that it's a, an issue and that they're actively trying to, um, to resolve it, to work on it? Do you, in, in other words, in my mind, if I have a partner who has an issue and they're actively trying to resolve it, I think that's worthy of my respect. I, I you know, not necessarily... I'm just using it in broad terms. I would think that that is worthy of my respect and that I would not necessarily lose my respect for them. But if it's somebody who has an issue and does not care that it's impacting negatively on me and on the relationship, then that is a pathway for losing respect for me. Yeah, it's... it's so so the, the, the key to respect is that you it's not judging someone on what they do and i'm not saying that you, like you would accept it but it, it's going okay this is the behavior so um and like alan talked about you know people in them circumstances there's a whole chain of things that led them to that and you can look at the behavior and go oh, okay i'm not respect but really respect is about okay what has gone on? What has happened? What has led them to that? Um, and it it may be, like I would say for a lot of people, um, addiction is going to be t uh, like a, um, for most people who are partners of addicts, um, they're probably better off leaving the relationship. Um, because the, the nature of addiction, and Alan, you can jump in if you want, but the nature of addiction means that you love that addiction more than anything else. And some people recover, um, but otherwise, so when you're blindly saying, I love someone regardless, um, that, that isn't helping them with their addiction and um, it's creating, so it's respecting yourself, but also respecting the partner. But it's going beyond the the big headline of what happened to the, understand the person behind it and what they're dealing with. I don't know if you when want you, to... When you, when you say respect is about um, not judging, it sounds like you're speaking of compassion and seeing not the superficial or surface stuff, like if, say, for example, they're an alcoholic or something, their behaviour, but seeing the human being underneath or inside. So I think that's quite a deep thing to say, don't judge but maybe to have compassion for who they are underneath. Yeah, I agree. Um, sorry. Hi, everyone. Um, I agree. I think a lot of it is about self. It's about compassion. It's about being non-judgmental. Um, but also, I do think there's a lot of personal choice. So I think you've got to decide how much energy you want to give something. Um, and I think we all have our sort of tolerance levels. So I believe that you can do what you can and then ultimately you've got to leave it down to that other person because you can't control what other people do. You can only control how you deal with it or what you decide to, how you decide to handle it, whether you decide to stay, go, whatever. But um, again, it's about how you view yourself and what you feel like you deserve as well. 
So um, I think a lot of the time we uh, people are in relationships because they're fearful of being on their own. They think there's something wrong because of the, I don't know, the Disney, whatever is out there that makes you think this is a perfect and you're romantic comedies and whatnot. But um, you kind of got to step away from that and think, well, hang on a minute. You know, what's the reality? The reality is how do I want to feel? What's right for me? So I think you can give people as much time and energy as you can because we are supposed to be compassionate. But I think there's a level um, where you kind of then have to sort of step away or make a choice. It's respect for yourself as well. It's respect for understanding their choices, but also understanding your makeup and understanding, is this going to drag me down? So um, I know we missed, I missed some things in the, in the chat. I couldn't keep up. Um, but there was uh, desire. Um, Sasha and Alan were talking about desire. Um, yeah, I think it is, it's natural. Desire is natural. The problem is, um, same in the food industry, is like where sugar is the desire for now, but the long-term desire is for health. The, where, the desire for short-term gratification is what sways us off from ultimately getting what we really want long-term. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's the, the relationship. A relationship becomes difficult because when you're on your own, it's easy to, well, it's not easy, but it's easier to be above the line uh, and, and to like know what you need and, and whatever. It becomes much more complex when you're, when you have, when you involve someone else, when you're in a relationship, because then you have to, um, um, I'll just, just share this, this image as well, but really like the graph of, so my idea of have, um, relational mastery is that you have self mastery, but then when you start dating, um, that mastery drops down because it, there's a challenge of, of involving someone else of, of staying like, um, having mastery in yourself and staying at that level when you're trying to attract someone's attention and when you're being attracted off course, maybe by the wrong people. And then that goes up. And then when you're in a relationship, then it, again, um, it, it initially dips and there's a struggle of learning certain skills so that you can um, have that same level, but with someone else or, or a higher level. Um, Rob, before you leave desire, because um, I'm thinking that um, I do agree that desire is innate, but I think it is how you deal with desire, your ability to, to control, to manage, um, so that desire does not overtake everything and to, to balance it with logic and all the other things that go towards making balanced um, decisions and, 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 and balance out the effect of, of desire and every, all, all your choices, the choices that you make, mm. because that is, that's all based on emotion rather than any sort of logic. 
Yeah. And to my mind, you will become exhausted very, very quickly because that is a very high level of emotional <laughs> activity to run with your desires as and wherever they take you and also dangerous. Mm. So it is learning how to manage that desire. Yeah, it, it, it takes a high degree of honesty to know, are you doing this because it's easy? because it's because it's what you want to do um and you, you can see so many people believe what they want because it's what they want like they're swayed and and they you can see it with covid you can see it with trump that everyone is believing what they really want to believe um and you've got people believing outlandish theories because some emotional reason so, for example, Bill Gates, when you look at someone who warned everyone five years ago that there was a virus coming, um, when you look at someone who's given billions um, to solving human problems, and then there's a whole group of people that are um, claiming that all the work he's doing is, is so they can control them. But, you know, when I look at that, like, why? Why, why would someone who was, who was so rich... Um, in, in the last 10 years or whatever, he's been running the Gates Foundation. Instead of giving away 60 or 30 billion or whatever he's given away, he could have met that again. So what would he have to gain from putting the chip in someone? And yet it comes from people fundamentally believe that rich people are bad people and going to manipulate them. Sorry, I have a different thing. I have a friend that. who's... Go ahead. Okay, mm, I believe um, uh, Bill Gates and his wife—they are genuine, but uh, lots of the things they do are genuinely wrong, and they're definitely controlled by spiritual forces. And uh, of course, the people under those influences themselves do not know whether they are doing uh, right or wrong. And everyone is right in their own eyes and they believe they are genuinely, they are genuine um, and they're trying to help people. But the ways they help don't always uh, produce uh, um, good outcomes. And uh, in a way, it is controlling. Yep. Um, well, I mean, sometimes people do the wrong things for right reasons, but yeah. Um, and again, we we will have our beliefs. But um, what I'm really saying is that um, we all believe, well, often we believe and we get blinded by what we feel. And we find, I mean, this is a, this is a cognitive bias that we find the evidence and now when you look at the internet, there's so much evidence that we can find for any opinion that we want. And we're also given into short-term um, gratification, instant gratification versus um, long-term, um, any long-term benefits. And so therefore we, we take the easy route many times. 
And as you say, going onto the internet, you can click, you don't check the source and you find an answer that fits in with what you really want to believe. And so it reinforces the belief and you act on it. Rob, does, does, does it ever scare you that, you know, this effect that people just look for information that basically confirms things they already believe, that it affects you? Or rather, how does it, how do you think it affects you? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a fundamental human nature, but I, I like to look like I, I'm really positive and I'm positive because I believe my life is the result of my choices. So in America, there are people storming the Capitol building. There are people who want to leave the country and there are people that want to leave the country when Trump got in. And I think fundamentally what's going to go on, and this is my personal view, that I think what politicians do, they're going to do. I don't think I have any influence on that. Um, I don't think I have influence on the economic, the way that the world is going to work. But I think that the whatever this context and the environment that I'm in, I have the choice of how I react to that. So I look at what Viktor Frankl put in um, Man's Search for Meaning, that when in, in the concentration camps, he said some people were happy. Some people were sad. Some people were kind and generous. Some people were um, miserable and, and mean. Um, and so I look at fundamentally what, what affects me most is what I believe, is how I navigate all the circumstances. So other people can do what they want, and that creates the context and the environment, and then I navigate to that. So in a, if you want to take it very specifically, how someone behaves in a relationship determines whether I stay in the relationship with them. But um, so rather than control someone, I think you control the attention you give them. Does that answer your question? Can I ask uh, kind of, about it, beliefs? Sorry. Um, one second, you... just let Sikanda uh, finish. His... Right, so... It kind of sounds like you're saying like, okay, you believe you have an internal locus of control. You take responsibility for your own actions, right? And you try to control your outcomes that way, fine. But what if, when I talk about the confirmation bias, what if your very understanding of relationships has gone through that same kind of um, echo chamber? Because like, even like in groups like this, I've, people do although people generally have like say some different views there does seem to be like uh, a similarity of views mm. um what if your understanding of relationships has gone through that echo chamber so then you've developed a bias that's perhaps inaccurate because i know that people mm. understand you ask three experts about one situation in a relationship and you're going to get five different answers so it, I, I don't know if if I've made myself clear. Yeah, no, it does. Um, yeah, perfectly clear. Um, in, I just forgot, uh, I had two things in my head to, to say to that. Um, what, one is that, yes, you can, you can look, you look, can look at experts, um, but you, 
you you are going to follow the expert you most believe in. Um, so why do um, we believe? Yes, you'll believe because, and that's where you got have to be really critical of. Um, do like do I know? Is my map accurate? And you and I think you have to look at opposing ideas so people who disagree with you mm, and yeah mm. like reject them but understand so so for example yes here people are inherently growth-minded um but um there are yeah so there are going to be people who have a different Point of view so so yes like that's a, like it's an internal locus of control um and actually when i was studying happiness that was one of the factors i looked at in research and people with an internal control locus of control have more are, are happier than people who have an external are you aware that having you probably are are you aware that having two in the it too much of an internal locus of control is apparently a deterrent to happiness. Um, yes, because mm. like everything, you can because you can take it to extremes. So, the the key of the free thinking thing, the free things. So, why would someone take to that to an extreme? Because they they then create that as dogma. And mm. so, no idea is wholly. Like you have to take, like there's an idea and there's a spectrum and you have to take it to where it's effective and you have to like <clears throat> be able to let to drop it. So people who are successful often then struggle because they're successful because of certain reasons. And then mm -hmm. like the nature of success means that those very things are going to be the things that are going to stop them from getting to the next level. So, mm -hmm. um, so yes, it, it's it's being critical. It's not taking even your own beliefs as dogma, but challenging everything. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. means that you are on a constant process of evolution. Then, so every decision needs to be why, like, is it on course? Is it off course? And the way that you know that is by the emotion of how you feel. When you feel like, so if you're feeling above the line, you know you're on course. When you feel bad, when you start getting grumpy, when, when the relationship starts having lies, when the relationship, the communication drops, when there isn't the respect there, it's because it's dropped below the line. And so it's constant navigation. Nobody's ever going to stay all above. We're all fluctuating. Um, Janos, you've been very patient. I think it's the easiest way to describe in my perspective or in my expression, it's you only see the world how you want it to see. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 recognizing that. It's recognizing <clears throat> that you've got a limited view and knowing where that is um, going to um, hurt you. Yeah, but that's also depending on your current knowledge, you know, with the current filter, what you put in. That's why we need to take as much possible information in order to help us to solve that problem. So not just only one, two solution you will have for one problem, you will have 100. And you choose one of the best what is fit for you for the current situation, for your current mood, 
for your current state of mind. Yeah, yeah, and it's also recognizing that um, I talked about emotion and, and thinking and logic. You can't always think your way out of things. So, like, you might have that hundred sources, and you might go, "Yeah, this is it." But the way that you know is an interaction through the emotion. If you try it and it doesn't work, you don't feel, then you, it's it's a dance between the two that you get the the right answer for you. Does that which make says sense? That have, so, sorry, Rob. Which says that you have to have uh, a, a, um, a sense of a, a sense. Oh, what's the word? Self awareness. Yeah. yeah, your self-awareness has to be in tune with what it is that you're trying to achieve. Otherwise, you won't know if you have achieved it, if you have arrived at the point that is good for you or what, what it is that you're seeking. And to my mind, I don't know that you can ever rest and say, this is perfect. I have arrived at the perfect solution. I think we're always um, building, changing, um, tweaking because um, nothing is static and two people in a relationship, they're not static. And so to my mind, um, what I would look at myself and say, what I need to do is I need to become resilient to be able to navigate and maintain and, 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 and hold a relationship together. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really, um, I'll show you another. Because resilience are the tools and the, the various things that I have acquired. And, and so really, um, so th this is another um, graphic and it's, it's about why ma mastery is essential for relationships. And so basically this is based on um, George Leonard talked about that in any field there's, there's dabblers. And a dabbler is someone that just wants quick results. And so in relationships, these are the people that when the honeymoon phase dies down, they're jumping off to someone else and they're always hoping that the next person, and, and so what happens is they never develop relationship skills or knowledge. And the obsessive is someone who's like, right, tell me what books to read. I'm gonna read this and how do I get this? Um, and, but what it is is that they're looking for results next week they're looking for immediate results and and it's like what do i have to do what do i have to do and and they're looking for creating a, an, an immediate response and so they don't actually learn anything about relationships and they don't get any better and the hacker is someone who he talks about they're being plateaus and they're just happy at this level and that's that's the level that they want to go at and um they're quite happy um, they, they know it's not as good as it could be, but it means that they don't have to put in any extra effort. And so the problem is like 15, 20 years, their partner comes to them and says, well, I'm not happy, I'm leaving. And I go, well, why? well we were fine. And that's when they you know, had no idea. So I believe that the only way to really master relationships is mastery. And mastery is like, you know, when you... Like you can't go to a martial arts dojo, do two sessions or fast track it and five sessions and suddenly you're 
um, a black belt. It means you do it over and over and over again. Um, and so that means that sometimes you have to take a step back. And so being apprentice means that you have to have humility um, because these people want the results. It's like a lot of people want results in life, but they don't actually want the process. That's what um, George Leonard talked about. He, he talks about when you look at all the advertising, when you look at what people are dreaming of, it's being on the winner's podium. It's having the published book. It's having the acclaim. But they're not actually looking for the journey. Um, and so it's it's having the um, humility to accept um, to accept um, I don't know what I don't know. That is a really good model. What did you say his name was? Sorry, Rob, George. Uh, George Leonard. That's um, really he wrote good. A book, Mastery. That's so, really um, good. I kind of took his ideas to develop the model, but he talked about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, because no, that's, it's really, that's really interesting. Thank you, because I am definitely a dabbler. <laughs> I, think, I think we all have, because we've all been wanting to um, get immediate results in whatever way. But yeah, it, it is, you can, you can see, I think dabbler is, is the big one in relationships because everyone thinks someone else. And I, and I think that's a lie we've been told. The lie we've been told is there's one out there and, and we've been told if it isn't working, it's because they're not the one. And so, so many people are on a search for the one and, but nothing's different with anyone. Why do you think it is that um, people don't want to put the effort in? Because uh, it's like when I work with, with my patients, well, most of them have got you know, mental health issues, anxiety and depression. And you'll give them solutions without actually telling them what the solutions are, but give them options. And 90% are looking for this magic little pill that that's going to make them better. And I mean, I had a consultation with someone um, last week, and at the end they were like, "I was, is that it?" And and I said, "Well, what do you, what do you mean? Is that it?" And he went, "Well, you're basically saying that I'm on my own." And I'd give him like all of this different loads and loads of different stuff, and it was just like really, really frustrating. And it's someone that you come across all the time, but I'll often say to them, you know. If you're overweight or you're skinny and you, you want to either lose weight or gain muscle, you can't just go to the gym once, lift the weight, and then all of a sudden turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it's the same in um, you know in relationships. You've got it's something that you've got to work at. And I I can't understand how the ignorance of people where they just think it's taken me X amount of years to get to this negative place where um where am i okay you might have had some traumatic event whatever that may be that that's kicked it off but yeah it, it's very very rare where someone will go from one extreme to the, the next within an instant i have seen it done but it's very rare um but why do you think that people don't want to put the effort in and people want that instant gratification i don't think it's so much to do with society and i know that modern society is going that way but I often find it's more with the older generation you know 50 plus between 50 and say 75 then. 
tend to have that kind of um, outlook, and I just find it very frustrating. I, I think, and and it, and it is you, you see that in um, overweight people. You see it in like that's why there's so many diets because um, I do this diet, but I don't like that because it's hard work and I have to give up this food. Um, I'm going to try this diet and I'm going to try this diet, and that's why there's so many diets. The the formula is quite simple. Um, so I think it's fear. Um, I think it's fear of failure. I think it's fear of the price that they have to pay. I think it's um, pride. It's not wanting to, like not having the humility to say, okay, I need to start from backwards and then start again. Um, I do think the idea of a magic pill has been sold to us. Um, I think the pharmaceutical industry, when you look over the last hundred years, it's all been magic pills. You know, the whole magic bullet from Coca-Cola was a, was originally a magic pill. Um, so um, I think there, there's an expectation of it should be simple. There's an expectation that you as a therapist should be so good that they're fixed by, by the time they go out. So I started um, with a basic, like a basis in um, sort of therapy and people would come in and they'd go like, oh, and, and the reason why I, I moved away from it was because people were like, oh, it doesn't matter because I'll just come back to you and you'll fix me. It was like, you, you, the whole point is you have to take personal responsibility. Like if you, if you have a problem and you want to get to there, you get to there, but then I thought people would want to grow from there. Do you think it's because people just don't want to be, uh, is it about vulnerability? Partly, and yeah, and which goes back to the whole parental school thing of, of being judged and being told you're not good yeah. enough. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there there is all that, all of those elements. Can I just say that I think personal responsibility is a really key thing, but I think even though it's very basic and fundamental, because that's not what we're being taught in the schools and, and as, as a whole in society, people are thinking that it should be a magic pill and that people have been brainwashed by basically the Disney fantasy. So personal responsibility for most people I think is alien and that's the problem. That's why people aren't willing to do the work to put in to get a mastery. They just want a, a quick shot. Yeah. Betty took the words out of my mouth. But in addition to that, um, we have been fed a diet from childhood. You know, the Cinderella stories, the night on a on a steed, whatever, blah, 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 and all of that. And also Mills and Boons have a lot to answer for. The... <laughs> Having gone to a girls' school and, and, and Mills of Boone's been passed around at age 13, 14, you think that there's the only the one who is going to make your blood boil. And you continue it, and then Disney continues with these wonderful films and all oh, the beautiful. I'm talking the truth. I mean, you know, you get this idealized notion that you're going to feed this man who's going to make your heart just burst with whatever and he'll be the one forever and ever and then he turns out to have clay feet what happens so but the bottom line is that even though reality hits 
We have had this diet for so long that we still yearn for it and think that it may just be about be true. So let's try and find it. <laughs> and you see your friend who seems to have a perfect night, you know, who comes home and he does all the right things. I mean, why can't I have that too? It must exist. And so we tell. Yeah, I'd, sorry, I just think you've just hit the nail on the head, Sandra, when you say that we've been fed a diet, but it's a psychological diet of ideology and when you mention the fairy tales even though they, they, they seem trivial but we've been sold that or, or brainwashed with that since we were children exactly. and that most people grow up thinking that somebody's going to come and save them and that there will be a white knight most people still don't realize there is no white knight nobody's coming to save them and it's a really key point and it's why people don't take personal responsibility because they don't realize that if they don't save themselves they're screwed because nobody's coming mm. Um, if you if you've ever heard David Goggins, um, um, David Goggins, that was like the turning point. He said, yeah, he's what he like, He's awesome. Um, there's just like nobody was coming to save me. He said that was the, the best moment when I when I realised. He's so hard. He's like I literally love his book. I literally love his. I watch his um, YouTube stories, and he's just like doing this insane workout, and he just delivers straight facts. Does not mince words. However, I do feel though because I've been in a situation where I've you know once romantic fairy tale blah blah blah, but I also feel like it's so easy for people to be like oh, you know, we've been fed um, this diet, which I do agree with, but I think it's a cop-out because I think everybody deep down knows the truth. Like, I don't think the truth is something that is hard to attain. I think that we all know that we have to work for what we want in life. It's just easier to believe that we don't have to. I think that people ha want to hand over their self-autonomy to other people because they want somebody to take care of them. It's just easier for them to want to think that. And it's like that old adage where that dog is like lying on the patio and he's like moaning. And someone's like, um, what's wrong with him? They're like, oh, he's laying on a nail. And he's like, why doesn't he just move? And it's because it doesn't hurt enough for him to move. Like people need to feel the pain to want to move their life forward. But it's just easier not to do that. It's just like, oh, well, you know, it's good enough, isn't it? So, Yeah, so, so I think there is a subtext to all of politics. Like, politics is basically um, no one will get elected if they put the taxes up. We won't pay debts or have all the things that we want. And people want, you know, the NHS, they want healthcare, they want um, all of these things funded. But at the same time, they want less taxes. And it's, it's not magical. Um, is it ignorance then, Rob? Is it ignorance from people where they just think, I, I, I want this and I want that, and they got well, no idea of how it's brought about? Well, I think, I, I think people don't know. And I, I can't, so if you look at politics, like education, is a, you would need to study that full time. You would need to be in that. Healthcare, you need to be in that all the time. So, but I do think, like Alicia said, we want to believe it and the politicians give us the story oh yeah yeah we'll take care of this you elect me like every election is okay so look at trump's make america great um what was obama's um yes we can yes we can what um anyone remember bush's um but basically all of them amount to one line you know like the brexit lie of there's 350 million we're paying into Europe every month that's going to go into the NHS. Um, 
so I think if people critically thought about it, but one, they don't want to, and two, it's easy to believe. And so we give up our authority for someone else to make it because fundamentally life is hard and, and life is scary to achieve whatever we want. And so what that means is like, we have to do that whole hero's journey thing. Mm. And that's scary. It's much easier. We all want to cop out and people get into relationships because they're scared of that journey on their own. And they're like, if I'm with someone else, they'll support me and they'll balance me out. And I won't have to do these things that I don't want to do. Um, and all these reasons. And when someone comes along and says, um, you know, uh, it'll, it'll be fine. Just vote for me and, and I'll, I'll change it. So I think it's, I think probably on some level we do if we really thought about it. But one, we're busy. We don't think about it. And two, it's, it's nice to believe. It's nice to believe that someone else, something else will do it. So are human beings fundamentally lazy then? Instead of making the effort to go on the hero's journey, we'd rather let somebody else make our choices for us. Yeah, of course. Cool. It's not I, true. I, I would. <laughs> but if someone, if someone said, I'll give you this result and you don't have to challenge yourself or go through this fear or that ever, if there was a magic pill, would would you take that? But I mean, ultimately, I, I'd like. I deep down, I know now that that journey is is the experience of life, and it's not about the thing that you get; it's about the journey of going there. But there's lots of times I would have taken it. Would you? Yeah, but that's what it's the family. It should teach us our parents. But what we what our parents did it quite often. They just make decisions. And we just live with that. And we just don't want to take sometimes now the responsibility. We want somebody to lead us, to tell us what to do. And that's our generation fault a little bit because our parents, they never really discipline us or teach us how to take responsibility. They just did it instead of us. And they just, okay, do it. Or don't even do it. We do. Um, yeah, and and people, so we're we're all aware of this to different degrees, and we accept it in different degrees. And so, parenting is is, is the luck of the draw. What we get, um, you know, some of us were lucky. Some of us might have had parents that told us that, um, but but most of us don't. Um, and so we we just then yeah we have to find our way from wherever we are. And and sometimes, like that's from a negative place. You know, like, um, I know I'm kind of going off the subject a little bit, but uh, there's a meaning behind it. You know, like the, the COVID regulations and we're being told what we should and we shouldn't do. And the vast, vast majority of people aren't looking into the whys and wherefores. And I work in the NHS and, you know, I, I hear all these stories about certain things being busy and the reality being a lot different. I'm sitting here with COVID now. There's nothing wrong with me. I just got to self-isolate. Uh, in fact, I've had the best sleep in three years I've ever had. Um, but do you think that being told what to do kind of um, links into us all and that's, that's why people want to be rescued, so to speak? Do you think we are really influenced? Each and every one of us is really influenced by someone in authority saying, "This is what this is what you should do," and we just basically blindly go ahead and do it. Mostly, when you listen to people who who say they say, what does that mean? It means they. Who are they? 
like they're people like you and me who who've maybe studied a bit and and got into a certain role but i don't think we should so for most things we 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 will but for the things that are most important to us we have to challenge that because otherwise we can't think everything from scratch um so 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 when when you look at covid i think if it's genuinely for health reasons um then th there's a a basis like a justification um the problem i think a, a lot of people have is when they make a rule and they don't stick to it um when there's contradictory facts and figures and and we don't know like the information we get doesn't um isn't necessarily accurate with you know what's out with other data that's out there like i think the government's facts and figures and things have been way off so um but yeah i i think it comes from control and control comes from people who are below the line so like if if they if 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 there was a form of government where they said like okay these are the facts um for the sake of everyone we need you to wear masks and social distance and stuff like that um then everyone above the line i think might, would 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 um agree with it Am I answering your question, or have I gone off on another tangent? No, I think, I think you. I think you are. Um, but I mean, the reason why I'm mentioning it is not for COVID specific, but more, you know, I'm linking it into the relationships where a lot of people don't make efforts in relationships um, for one reason or another, and I'm just wondering: is it because they're looking for someone to tell them what to do? But then. You know, you often get an imbalance in relationships. Well, you know, my wife's nagging me, or the fella won't let me go out, or whatever it might be. So there's this imbalance going on. But then it relates back. I mean, I had the, it was about two, three weeks ago. I had this patient who was suffering from domestic violence, and it was it was really, really bad. You know, um, one of the most horrific cases I've ever come across. And I, the words out of her own mouth was. Um, I love it. And um, I said, well, what is it about it that you love? Because, you know, to me, it sounded like an absolute nightmare. And um, and she said, every time I see him, it's it's really exciting because I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. So it's like our first date every time. And, um, I, I mean, I can understand that from, so, you know, I know a lot about how people work, but at the same time, it's, it's sick, isn't it? You know, how... Mm how people can be truly manipulated with chasing that emotion so much that it could ultimately cost someone their lives. And that's mm. where it's come from with the COVID thing. Of, okay. It's basically gaslighting. Yes. So, so basically, if you're a dabbler, uh, um, obsessive or hacker, you're running on excitement. Whereas when George Leonard talks about mastery, he says it's boring. It's the boring path. And it's the willingness to be bored. Um, whereas, which is why I brought in about social media and that is, is like the buzz, the excitement. Um, and a lot of people in relationships 
um, are wanting the excitement. And so where do you get the excitement? You know, like in an old relationship from someone else, you get it from that kind of drama situation. Um, and it comes from a basis of not having like a deep purpose, deep passion, deep meaning in your life. Rob, I was a bit worried when I got here. You know, it says on the, you know, free thinking and rebellion, this, that, and I thought you had a big army coat on <laughs> with military fingers, like what's going on? <laughs> I'm, I'm recruiting now, Sasha. You're going to sign up. It took up. me a while to realise it wasn't. It was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> we're we're, we're going to march on Downing Street and the free thinking party. We, we have to... Sorry. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, the thing is with the COVID, it's, um, I, I mean, I'm all right, actually, being at home. To be honest with you, I think um, I needed some time out. I work in the city. It's just, you know, it was always go, go, go. So I'm actually quite happy having a year off. But it's the way that um, they've gone about it. My main worry is when I go out into the street and it's the way people behave, and maybe, maybe there's some insecurities in me, but, you know, someone just crossing over the roads, like they're running away from me or, you know, and people are being very aggressive towards each other. I find the whole way everyone's responded to this really quite frightening, to be honest. I think that's what happens when you, when you have fear and control, because the way that you control is through fear. And so when you fear people are below the line, uh, um, when people are afraid, they don't have the resources to be kind, to be generous. It's about survival and savagery. Um, so I think it, it be, the idea is that people, I mean, the basis for the control is that people, otherwise people won't do what they're told. And so we need to enforce it. We need to control it. When we control it, we have to use fear. We have to um, impose on other people. So, yeah, and that's why when you look at it in terms of a relationship, if you need someone to be a certain way, if you are going to punish, control, manipulate, any of those things, then it automatically creates a bad relationship. But if that is that's the behavior that you have learned um, throughout your life, it, for some people, they don't even know that that's what they're doing. That's what they are because that's them. That's their being. Okay. And it, you're requiring them to unlearn this behavior that is an intrinsic part of them. As far as, when you say intrinsic. as far as they're concerned, it's it's a part of them because they don't know that they're doing this thing. It, I mean, they have, this is learned behavior. Yeah, so it's the conditioning. Time. That's where I was talking about the conditioning, it sways you off. But how, yes. how do you, as a partner then, because you're in a relationship and this person has, has this form of, of behavior, um, try to resolve and to get to a place wherein that behavior becomes um, less of a threat to the relationship and to you, the other individual? So ultimately, um, 
ultimately, if they don't, they've got a false map. So they're off course. Um, and if they don't have the um, respect in terms of being able to communicate openly and honestly, then you can't. So that's why the three critical components for a relationship that's going to work is going to be integrity, respect, and kindness. Because if, if you don't have them, someone's got a false map um, and are insisting that it's reality when it isn't. Can I ask so, a question? Yeah, can I just answer? Yeah, just in, in practical terms, so you communicate um, and you talk about it. But if you if you don't have that basis that they're willing to talk about it openly and that you can you can get to the truth. So the basis of the communication is so that you can peel what, what caused that, what triggered that together or with someone else. And then you can connect. But if you can't, if they're not willing to discuss, they're not willing to look at that, there's nothing that you can do. So that's one of the core things. Which means, therefore, that that becomes a deciding point for you. Yeah. This too toxic for me, um, and this is this is going to be the permanent situation. Am I willing to live with that? Can I? Does that detract from my being me, etc.? Those questions. Yeah. And on that basis, you either decide to walk or stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, because it'll it'll come out in other ways as well. Mm. Sorry, Nicole. Um, I just have a question. I think because of social media and the way life is at the moment, do you believe there's like an an epidemic of narcissism? I think um, I think that there are, is social media. Narcissism is so when, when, when we're talking about narcissistic personality, that's very specific. Um, but narcissism as a um, trait is uh, there's a spectrum and we all we all want we all have that we all share that same thing of a narcissist that we all want so to be so we've all involved. got it a little bit we all, yeah we all want to be wonderful like social media is built like the only reason social media is dominating society is because the dopamine it gives you when you get a like the 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 buzz right. of feeling popular, of feeling liked, of feeling validated, that's an inherent part. We all need <clears throat> to feel important. We all need to feel worthy. But what it does, that gives you a short-term hit, as opposed to mastery gives you the, the real thing of you have it internally knowing and you don't need it from other people. I hear a lot of that in a lot of the relationships that I hear around me, marriages and stuff. It seems that there's a lot of like this, I don't know, grandiosity and sort of, do you know what I mean? With one mm. partner and then that's where the struggle is, if you see what I mean. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a bit like drugs. So yeah. um, if you look at cocaine or, or heroin or any of those drugs, they give you something that you would have, like if you meditated for 20 years and you were enlightened and you, you would have many of the same effects, but they'll give it to you in one injection. Mm. Um, and it's the same thing, like the, the dabbler, the obsessive, the hacker is just going to go for the, the shot as opposed to the long-term thing. And, and then that becomes addictive 
Uh, and again, you have to do more and more outrageous. Like if you've got 70 likes on this post um, and the next one only gets 30, you're like, well, nobody likes me anymore. Um, what can I do? Um, and so like when you look at young girls on their um, social media, apparently what they do is like they'll take a selfie, put it up. If it hasn't got a, enough likes in the first few minutes, they take it down, uh, retake it, retake it. Um, and so there's no realism, but it's just chasing, just chasing the dragon. Doesn't that relate back to desire um, in terms of once you get what you want, you don't want it anymore? Um, part of part of the process, part of the the actual, um, I don't know how to, how to really phrase it, but it, it's it's the actual, you know. Let's let's relate back to wanting to get lose weight. It's it's not just the case of you've lost. 10 stone because you've taken this magical pill and you feel great it's the effort that's involved it's it's knowing that you've you've had that commitment towards it you know you've committed to eating the right foods you've committed to getting up early and, and doing doing exercise and you've committed to saying no when when you really want to say yes and all that bring builds up strength that you you might not have had before so on the face of it it is just the outcome is just losing weight, but there's loads of other different things along the line, which is also building up your character. And it's the same with, you know, with drugs or alcohol. You reflected um, a moment ago on taking that injection and it could bring you to this place of euphoria. But that person who has chosen to go down that path would have absolutely no, how, no idea on how to obtain those emotions other than it being falsely induced. But if you've got someone who, who has trained, um, you know, a mindfulness and practiced it on a regular basis, then they'll be able to self-induce those particular um, feelings. And, and, and for me, that's, that's where everything kind of comes back to yourself. Yes, every one of us sat here would love to be in that, that perfect relationship with that. Um, with that other person where you feel loved, you feel respected, you feel cherished, you feel excited, um, and you feel, you know, comforted. But I think ultimately it comes to being being come to a realisation where despite not having that other person who's able to fulfil those particular needs, you actually get comfortable within yourself. So that when, then whenever this person, if they do happen to come along, because there's no guarantee of anything, but if they do, you're in that comfortable position where you can go, you know what, I'm actually happy enough within myself. And if this goes wrong, then it's actually okay because I'm, I'm, I'm still left with myself and what I had before wasn't someone who was in dire straits, wasn't someone who was in desperation, wasn't someone who was completely and utterly needy. But... I've, I'm coming from a position of strength, and that's the journey. That's it's only the journey that's gonna that's gonna get you to that point. You're not gonna take a pill and all of a sudden have have all of this confidence and have all of this knowledge and and know what to do in certain situations and know when to shut your mouth when in other times you would have opened it and had an argument with somebody. That's the, that's the journey, but people don't want to do the journey. They don't want to make the effort, and and that's where I think society is. It's failing and not just in 
not just in relationships, but on, on many levels. That yeah. comes back to this, which is free thinking. Yeah, I think the desire is the same thing, but it's the short-term desire. It goes back to the Greek idea of um, hedonic happiness, which is just pleasure, and eudaimonic, which is earned over time. And um, it is, is, do we want the short-term gratification, which we can't sustain and we can't supply, or do we want the long-term gratification, which is where we 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 su- supply it so it becomes sustainable and i think the 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 key point um from what you're from what you said alan is uh, aside from that is that ultimately like my biggest message in terms of relationships is it's not about the relationship so everyone wants to talk about relationship skills and relationship but when you talk about so when you look at relationship skills at best it's soulless, and at worst, it's manipulation. Because the, if you if you take relationship, like relationship techniques, tricks, advice, hacks, without involving changing you, then it's it's essentially it's either soulless or, or manipulative, and really relationships are a part of life and it's how you navigate life um and and so really the whole idea of the think free rebellion is that it's about your life you navigate your life and you navigate your life in relationship dependent on whatever the context are whatever anyone else does and it's about having the skills so that you can navigate so that you always stay above the line because really relationships are about self-mastery and if you if you choose the right person, then yes, then you know the relationship will be great. But there's choosing the person, like choosing the person accurately. Again, in terms of we can go for the short term gratification because this person's really hot and they seem like they tick all the boxes, or we can go this person has the qualities that they can, we can sustain a relationship for 10, 20 years. And of course, people will change. But it's about you managing yourself so that you whatever happens, you're okay. Because like every relationship is going to end. It's going to end in death or breakup. And, you know, if your partner, you know, God forbid, in five years drops down dead, if only all that you've done is built this relationship, but in a way that you can never rebuild it with anyone else, then you're going to be devastated. And so, like, the pain of a breakup is about is, is correlated with your confidence of your ability to, to make a better future. I think um, you can, I think sometimes you've got to identify your patterns as well. Um, sometimes you've got to stop and say, hang on, this is always the same result when I do this. So I need to change that. Um, so I think a lot of self-reflection needs to take place. The thing is, um, when you recognise that, you start doing a lot of work on yourself. So it's really important to work on yourself. There's There's got to be work done. But um, sometimes I think that can be to your detriment because you've also got to remember that you're not trying to be a perfect person. So when you meet somebody, they've still got to be able to accept that this is who you are and 
you know, you've got your flaws and whatever, and you have to also embrace your own flaws and stuff. But I think sometimes when we're trying to do a lot of work on ourselves, we start to want to become a perfect person. And that's just not, that's just not how it, how it works. Hmm. We have um, to be careful too not to be too prescriptive about what we are, what 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 we want to be, um, because that engenders inflexibility. And when you become inflexible, then that starts to lead to um, your inability to adjust or your partner, whatever it is, the relationship, you can't adjust adequately in the or, or at the right time in the relationship because of your inflexible um, points, the, the things that you will not give up on, the things that you have carved out for yourself, and I will accept no less, I will, I want it this way, etc., etc. It actually leaves your partner um, in the role of being a reactive person to you. Because they always have to be con trying to conform to your 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 prescriptions. Mm -hmm. And that to me is not a relationship. That's not built on respect. It's not built on equality. It's not built on give and take. It's not, it's just not a relationship. It's I don't know what you'd call that. It becomes subject to dogma because you can yeah. create your own dogma. Yeah. And and it's just choosing a different dogma. So it's it's, it's being able to be constantly flexible, not it's because what what otherwise what happens is you're you're attaching to an idea or a value and everything is always changing so we have to be able to let go of things that as soon as they don't work like as soon as they're not true but also it being flexible gives you the um capability of allowing your relationship to evolve so that element of boredom which we assume is inevitable is um is not inevitable if you are willing to allow um, in the individuals to explore and be themselves and to grow, but also to for the relationship to also evolve. Yeah. Because I, I think I've heard people say in long-term relationships, oh, I didn't know that you liked that, or I didn't know you could do that, or you always surprise me. There's always something new that you, 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 you know, there's something new that you always show me at some point, rather than, you know, okay, fine, yeah, I'm going to, he's going to retreat to the, to the chair with the slippers and the pipe and the newspaper, and I'm going over here to knit. <laughs> what, what are you knitting at the moment sandra oh i'm doing my embroidery i must tell you there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think i think there is an element of boredom um but i, I want to um so if you meet someone new and it's it like it's up here it's exciting um and then it drops down um, and so, like when George Leonard was talking, George Leonard, yeah, George Leonard was talking about mastery. He says it's boring, and what that means is that you don't get the highs and lows of the drama. So, like Alan was talking about that person in that relationship, it's it's up here because you never know what's that, and then it's down there, and it's up there, and up there. And so, over long term, the the highs and lows become much much less, but. Also, when, when Alan was talking, he was talking about um, 
you know, like you get the shot and there's there's habituation. Like whatever happens, you habituate to it. Um, and so you need more and more and more and more. And that's never sustainable in a relationship. You're never going to get more and more and more. But if you don't have that addictive like nature, then the the boring things, like the small ups and downs, um, can become um, exciting. I'd like to call that contentment rather than boring. Sorry. So when you say addictive nature... Do you think, though, that it's just normal for human beings to get a thrill out of something, whether it's sugar or, or tobacco or drinking or whatever, and then just to keep chasing it because of whatever chemicals? Do, do you think there are specific people that have a special addictive nature or it's just normal is what I'm saying? I, I think it, I think it's natural. I think what the food industry has played off, the drug industry, you know, like recreational drugs has, has played off. Um it's just, it's it, yeah, it's how we're wired. And I think it's yeah. to do with um, um, when we, like, finding sugar of um, meant it was, a, it was rewarding and so we get easy, quick food. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The food industry, that's why they uh, design the food so you get the bliss point, the fat and the sugar, so you get the, the high. Mm. Yeah. Coca-Cola, etc. But I would think that instead of calling it boredom, because to me, boredom has a negative connotation. It's like, you know, you're part of the wallpaper. Um, It's it's, it's more, uh, to me, contentment. You have got to a point of contentment where you accept each other and you 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 go along. And as you say, there are little um, blips of excitement. But what would be nice is to have that level of contentment with some lovely peaks of excitement every now and again. <laughs> that would keep me going. I don't know about anybody else. Are you saying that if we don't go for the thrills, the highs, that... Uh we could be bored, but then you're saying, Sandra, that instead of being looking at it as boredom, we could look for contentment. But then, where do we get the frills? Where? We get frills when we're contented. But isn't you that why you hear the different personalities? Yeah, you like, can't have to work at it, but you can surprise your partner. You can do something different. They can do something different. I mean, to me, um, what when when you. Th- talk of boredom, I think of a set routine that becomes almost an automated way of living. Um, And nothing really um, causes any deviation from that, for good or bad, very, very rarely. So um, days will go by where you have created no memories because you have just gone through them uh, like on autopilot. Whereas... um, to me, if I'm truly content, I think I can make memories and good have good good feelings, but they just don't peak to the to the levels um, where the adrenaline rush and all the rest of it might not be there. But it's a different kind of um, of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I really like that uh, description you've used there, Sandra, saying creating good memories. Yeah. And I suppose good memories come because you have a, f- a good feeling at that moment, as you were just saying. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's created by that togetherness with you and that person. Um, and a recognition that, yes, um, we may not have all the 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 the, 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 the very high highs uh, very often, but as they would say, I remember my, my parents long, long would joke with their friends, um, okay, these things don't happen very often, but when they happen, they are very memorable. I won't go into it. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, fine. So um, it's that kind of thing wherein, yeah, you're on an even keel. You understand the person, the person understands you, and you do have things that come into the relationship, be children, grandchildren, um, things that you both enjoy as hobbies, which you enjoy. And it's a pretty even keel. Um, and you like it. It, it. it works for you. The one that I'm scared of is where you are in a relationship and it is so boring because you're two, you're not one, you're two people bound together, but you're essentially two islands. You're not. You're not a couple. You're not a real couple in, in in that sense. You you kind of just move along together in the same space. So you're not creating any memories collectively you, as a as, as a couple. That to me is the difference. Yeah, I, I think contentment is a, is a, is a much better word. I, I I use boring in the in the context of people will see it as boring. <coughs> but what I, I look, sorry, Rob. Well, I was just going to say, I look, I look at it as being like an onion and you peel it and you peel it and you peel it. Um, and so the the biggest bit that you're going to learn is on the outside, but there's always more and more layers. And so um, when you look at it in terms of <clears throat> Helen Fisher, she talks about the three drives of um, the sex drive, the romantic drive and the deep companionate. And so what happens is is like the... Um, the sex drive or the, the thrill from the sex is going to be less. The um, romantic drive is is going to become more, um, more and more the same. But the, what's really going to grow is the deep companionate, and it's to do with and it's to do with like the respect of, like um, Sandra was saying, it's it's not. There's a quote that came to mind when when Sandra was talking as um, uh, George, I think it was George Bernard Shaw, and he says, the only wise man is my tailor because he's the only one who, who takes my measurement now because everyone else sees me as, as, I, as I was. And mm. so it's about, okay, instead of looking at this person like I've always known, I know what they are, I know what they like, I know what they're at, but looking at them with a different eyes in terms of like, yeah, we have this base of knowledge, but I'm still interested in you because I think that's the thing that kills relationship when we lose interest. Um, that's what I'm saying. You need you you need to, you need to be able to look at the person and say, "Hang on, I didn't know that about you. You you are different. You're doing something different, so I can actually see you and focus on you, the person, because you're doing something that I'm interested in, or I find interesting about you, rather than oh." Same old, same old. So does that mean you shouldn't give you shouldn't give away too much from the begin at the beginning? Does that mean you have to hold back some 
Yeah. I don't think no, you evolved. To me, you evolved. So you put you're adding on layers, as Rob says, to use his thing about the onion. I think it's the layers are growing. You, there, there's more that with experience that you add to yourself. So you become more complex. There are more subtleties attached to your overall um persona. Mm. I, I think it, it's to do with that um uh, integrity, respect, um, kindness. <clears throat> it's remembering, um, it's constantly looking with fresh eyes, constantly um, not assuming that you know them. Because part of the, the respect is, is not assuming that they're different. Like, okay, we've been together 20 years. You, you don't know that person. Like, we don't know each other. Um, and we've all been in our skin more than 20 years i think everyone is um and we're still finding things out about ourselves but the the nature of people and this comes from the idea of controlling people is the idea of pe people are fixed is that there's this person they have this trait this trait this trait yep i know them right next um whereas really that's that is just the outside of the surface and there's so much more um, and so it's more to do with the attitude. So the attitude of mastery is I want to explore, understand, know who you are. Um, whereas the, the other one is, okay, yeah, you fit the bill. That's it. Right. What buttons do I need to press? What, um, what do I need to do here? I'll give you a trivial one. Sorry, sorry, Rob. Go ahead. No, no I, was, I was wrapping up anyway. I was going to give you a, triv a, a trivial example. Um, my husband, when he met me, my hair was somewhere I had hair. And um, yes, he likes hair. So, and then after a while, he realized that, um, okay, fine, this woman, she will go to the hairdresser. I don't know what she's going to come back with. And, you know, I'll, I'll come back on a Saturday morning. So he's seen me go off with one look, and then I come back and he's like, who are you? You know, I'll have one inch of hair because <laughs> I've just got so fed up and I've cut it off. I've given no notice, but that's an element of surprise. It's, I mean, it's trite, it's superficial, but nonetheless, I'm known to do stuff like that. Um, and I think as we grow older, it's probably something that we shouldn't lose, that element of just just being yourself and doing something. And people will say, really? I didn't know you like that. Or, ah, wow, different. Or just something. Take you, a risk. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. like, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, like, I don't know what anyone else feels, but I feel like it also helps... Um, for me, like when I talk about mastery and how we're talking about being content or boring, it's like when you're on the way to mastery, and I can only liken it to a business perspective, but like um, it could be a relation to following your own purpose in this life as well. Like if you feel like you have a calling um, on what you need to do, for example, the steps you're going to do to, you know, realize that goal or, you know, actualize or progress or develop into the person that you feel like you can become through that process will be made up of mundane um, laborious tasks that all add to compound together to make a bigger picture and I feel like maybe like following a purpose if you're quite a purpose-led person that 
allows you to understand that people can evolve and change and grow as they go go on. So if somebody else that you're with is also purpose-led, because I believe that I would have to be with a purpose-led person because you just have a different mindset in regards to being growth orientated and understanding that nothing actually does stay the same. But I think it also allows you to be fulfilled in yourself while doing the mundane, laborious, everyday tasks, knowing that you're doing it for um the greater good of your life and hopefully others as well. Yeah. I, I, um, I, yeah, I, I think it is, it's, it's recognizing it's the journey. Um, it's the journey and not the result. Mm. But also there's the other side of the coin wherein one partner might not want the other one to change from what they were when they met them. I mean, this is who you are. This is what I know. And this is what I, this is who I fell in love with. And therefore you are static. You need to be the image that I fell in love with. You do not change. Yeah, but that's what it's coming to unconditional uh, love. If you think about that. So you accepted the person, how it's evolved as he's accepting as well you. It's a kind of really unconditional love, what with so many of us we didn't learn how to do. Mm. I feel like um, people who do say, oh, you're not the person I fell in love with. Like, I just feel like that is just a fantasy that you want to create in your head anyway, because nothing does stay the same, like the nature of life, that nothing ever will stay the same. And if you're following what you think is right for yourself or I don't mean in a selfish way, because I do believe that we're all here to serve other people. But like if you acknowledge that within yourself, then you'll also understand why somebody else changes as well. And I think it's what um, Yana said about um, the unconditional love. Um, I believe that unconditional you can feel unconditional love. Um, but I think that's founded accepting that everyone's going to make mistakes and it's not for you to judge the other person what you think is right or wrong. Both times when you, you were talking, I had I had something to say and then um, a point I wanted to branch off on that. Um, something you said that related to, connected to what Alan had said, um, In terms of unconditional Rob, uh, love, though, Rob, because I know it's something that you're not quite sure about. I think it's it's about love, unconditional love. And I know that there's studies that haven't proved whether people can act, but that could be possibly they've just not found the right group of people to study. But I think with unconditional love, it still it, it still has consequences. It still has boundaries. It just means that. You know, if, if someone's abusive, for example, a consequence of that would be to leave the relationship. But in terms of unconditional love, it's like, yeah, it's not boundaryless. It's not con it's not without consequences, but it's that it doesn't matter what that person does. You still want what's best for them. Um, yeah. So um, them grow and develop. Mm. So patient with them through the difficulty difficulties that would be my definition of unconditional love 
but it's also about wanting what's best for them without it being selfish yes, towards yeah. yourself as well. Yeah, imposing it upon a genuine, like, sincere sort of. I don't mean in a in a sort of a selfish way. Wanting what's best for them, like a mother wants what's best for a child, for example. Yeah. Um, so in that context, unconditional love makes more sense. So my um, my problem with unconditional love, I, okay. <clears throat> so yes, when they researched it, they couldn't find people. It's not that it never exists. It's that when you look at the like the David Hawkins things, you would have to have people um, like up, I don't know, at a level of about 400 or something before they would display it. And so there's so few people who function at that level that most people aren't capable of it. It's not to say that we're not capable of it. If you were, if you were, if you um, took the mastery and, and you, you focused on that, then you could um, have unconditional love. Um, and so in the context of um, constantly growing, constantly looking at each other, constantly focused on accepting the person, you can have that unconditional love. The unconditional love I'm, I'm, I have a problem with is where people say, oh, we love each other, which relates to really, like Alan was talking about the abusive um someone who'd been in an abusive relationship, I go, oh, but we love each other and I love them whatever they do. That is the, is an understanding. There's the understanding of unconditional love where, where it's ignorance that's the problem. So, um, yes, I think if you have an attitude um, of you love them, whoever they are, whatever they do, but you navigate whether they're, you're in the relationship with them or not, based on what they do, based on how it impacts you. Because the same love and compassion that you have for them, you have to have for yourself. Because both of you are equal in the relationship. So you both have to, you, you have to be looking out for yourself and for them. <clears throat> so it's not self-interest, it's interest of the relationship. Because there's self-interest is, is solely about you. And the next level of identity is is you in a relationship. So the you becomes both of you. So there's still the independent you, but then there's the you that's part of the relationship. And in that relationship, what impacts your partner impacts you. And so your um, concern is, is for both of you. Mm. Could, could another word for unconditional love be compassion? Because I don't believe in unconditional love like uh, what you were just describing about when people are deluded and they say, I love them no matter what. But I think that if it goes back again to that sort of regard for their humanity and having compassion, then you could say, even though I'm not in love with this person or I maybe don't like them or respect them, I can have compassion for their humanity. That could be a way of describing it as unconditional love. I feel like unconditional love for me is more forgiveness because a lot of people, and I've been through this a lot myself, find it very hard to forgive because when someone does something you don't like, you think that they've done it to you, but in real reality, they've only done it to themselves. 
So it's just your perception of their actions towards you. And I feel like forgiveness, you forgive someone else, but you also forgive yourself. Um, and that's regardless of how evil you may think they were, or what, you know, how much you disagree with them. I think that forgiveness is unconditional love. I, I, okay. Um, how do you differentiate compassion from forgiveness? Well, I think that I think you can have compassion for um, somebody's situation, but you can still not really like what they do. But I think that when you forgive, you just let go of any um, negative emotion you may feel and see them as yourself as well. Because I think that I think that people are mirrors. So what somebody, what you don't like in somebody else, reflects back potentially what you don't like in yourself as well. So I think that when you forgive, you forgive them, and you also forgive you. Okay. Um, so, so just to just to give a a, a different answer, um, is in terms of I I think compassion um, is definitely part of that relationship but in terms of unconditional love i think you can be focused you can be forgiving you can be compassionate you can be um, all of those things but whether you feel love doesn't that depend on whether you're above or below the line because if you don't feel good can you love like even yep. yourself if you don't feel good about yourself do you love yourself I think I think there's there's loves like it's on a big spectrum and in in some some countries and cultures love is there's like thirteen different levels of love, um, and each one's broken down and explained. And I think even in the heat of something going wrong, where your sort of heart sort of becomes tense, maybe um, because of conflict or something that's happening. I don't think there's an absence of love if you still want a good outcome. Okay, let me play devil's advocate. If you're arguing, right, and you're really angry, um, in that moment, right, just that moment, not talking about, you see, I think the issue I have with love is it's like I love this person and I always love them. But the reality is I think... We love, we hate, we love, we hate. And I'm not saying that, that we hate them, but I'm saying in that moment, like that second, you isolate that second where they've done something, you're tired, you're really angry, um, they've really hurt you. You might hate the action. I think some people, it depends on the person, and I think you, you can get to that line of knowing that you could be crossing over into hate and control yourself. Okay, but control you, okay so what... My question really is, is love what you feel or what you do? What you do? Well, I think, I think it's both. That's what I'm saying. I think love isn't just this concept of this mushy feeling that we have. I think love in its, const in, in its full definition is a lot of different things that we don't quite grasp. Yeah, I think we've had a conversation about this before and... What I said, just to kind of repeat about what I said last time, is that love is the basis of good, but it means good. So at its very, very basic level, it's about goodness. So if you truly, truly love something or someone, more, more specifically someone, then you want the very best 
for them. And but the very best would not come at the detriment of of getting that best for them by ruining someone else's life or taking something away from somebody else. Because that good has to extend beyond that beyond that person. There still has to be sort of like justice within that and, and like fairness and like other good qualities within wanting the best for that other person. Exactly. Good behaviour exactly. towards them and all the rest of it. Yeah. So in relation to going back to the that person who I mentioned earlier in that domestic violence situation, without a doubt, she loves, in her own words, she loves her partner. Well, that's more of an excited type of love, isn't it? And a, a maybe even almost a delusional type of love. Well, what I was going to go on to say is, is, in my opinion, what she's asking, because I've never met anyone who's in a domestic violence or domestically abusive relationship, male or female, that doesn't have low levels of self-esteem, low level of um, confidence, doesn't particularly like themselves and certainly doesn't love themselves. So my opinion is that they're seeking, they believe in their head, they believe that they love the person, but they're actually seeking their own love for themselves because of this lack of self-esteem, et cetera, within that person. So they, in effect, they're looking for their own self-love within somebody else. And that's why I think it's important for us all to ultimately love yourself or respect yourself and then, and only at that point, then can you go into a relationship with someone else because otherwise you're, you're a huge risk of giving your power away. And that, I was going to ask a question earlier on about why do we think that this isn't, isn't taught in schools because, you know, what we're covering this evening and what we've covered on previous sessions is, you know, it's crucial, it's fundamental for successful relationships and successful relationships are fundamental for um you know, for getting on in life in general, in whether it's in work or in pleasure. And I think that knowledge is power. And th this evening and other evenings, we're being empowered um, by the information that we're receiving and that we're sharing amongst one another. And by being empowered, we are free thinking. We're able to think for ourselves. We're, we're less reliant on somebody else. And um, and I think that's why it's not taught in schools because the, the establish, establishment doesn't want the masses to be powerful. They want to they want to control us in one way or another. Because in order for one person to have power, that means it has to be taken away from somebody else. Mm, I would definitely agree with that hundred percent. I do think that some of the and it's, it is about being a free thinker and that is what we're not taught um, in school, in work and things like that because it is, as um, Alan just rightly said, it is taking away the power from the many to give to the few, which I believe in influence and leadership. I don't necessarily believe in power and control. Um, however, in regards to what people are saying as well, I believe, I, I believe, and this is not what everyone might believe, I believe that you get love from God. I don't, I believe that that is the truest form of love. And I don't believe that romantic love, I don't believe that um, all the other, you know, cliche forms of love is actually love. I think it is ultimately self-seeking. And I think that when, from my own experience, when I acknowledge myself as, you know, a child of God, divine being, that is when I actually felt true love because I saw that in other people as well. But I don't believe that humans get 
love inherently from within them. I think it's from a divine source. But I know other people don't agree with that. Okay, can I say then, if if some, like for example, I'm not religious and I don't believe in God, so I would phrase it as I see the source from coming within, which I think would be self-love. I think for me, um, I think it's about the, your connection. The first level of connection is to the big picture um, and what, whichever way that you see that. And so you can see it as, as God supplying it or you can see it as coming from yourself. Um, but I, I, yeah, so I, I, think it's, I think it just needs a story, a story that you believe in that makes sense that enables you to have that connection that then you can develop. There's one one other thing I just want to pick up on in terms of the um, uh, unconditional love. Um, so when I was saying, is it something that you do or is it something that you feel? What I wanted to get at is, I think it is something that you do, but I think you can only feel it when you, you can only do it when you feel it. Because you can be, in order to love, you have to be above the line. And there's very few of us that never dip below the line. So. Well, isn't it that unconditional love that pulls the relationship back above the line? Because if you didn't have that, it could just go to ruin, no? That would be my... Yes, so, but so what I'm saying is, in terms of unconditional love, you have to have that love, not necessarily from the other person, um, because you know, like Alicia said, it, like I think the key is that you have you have that big perspective that you have an understanding, like a an idea of where your where your power is is sourced, and then you have what your life's about that sense of identity so so that your your passions like i don't just mean like someone that you've met and you've got a passion for i mean like deep passion in life is what's going to sustain you um and so in order the reason why unconditional love people weren't able to to do it was because they weren't above the line long enough so um, I think you can do it when you're above the line, but it's just difficult. And I think we're all um, making it, like finding our way as we go. Isn't part of that um, motivation? You have to be motivated to want to do it, to or, or to. I, okay, so in a time when you're really motivated and you do it, and a time when you're not motivated what's the difference it's basically the feeling the feeling isn't it yeah yeah so that's above the line yeah so um one is a sense of duty though one is a sense of duty the if you're not if you're doing it and you're not motivated to do it that's probably through a sense of duty um yeah so so um People can be motivated through fear, like slaves have been motivated through fear for throughout time. Um, sorry, sorry, Daniel, you said something as well. 
Yeah, basically, in my perspective, the unconditional love, it's you still express it. You don't like that behavior, what the person does. You express it. That's not the right way, in my perspective, what does. However, as the person, you still uh, respect. It's basically more than just respect. You actually still give that love. But it's not the love, love, what you see in the stories. It's a kind of gratefulness. Thank you to be with me. Thank you, you are here. However, I do not accept that behavior. Is that... So that's, that's really how I recall appreciation and respect. Because what the difference I'm getting at is that in order to love, you've got to have love. You've got to feel love. So you've got to be full of love in order to give love. So, um, yeah, but that's you only giving for a small amount of people. This, this, it's built up over the time, which take very long time to build up. Mm. I don't know if I believe it takes a long time because I think that love is our natural state. I think that we're born, I personally, we're born in love. Like, you know, you've seen a baby, you've never seen a baby that's mean, do you know what I mean? Like when it's fresh out the womb. And I think that over through conditioning, we have that, we have the misconception that we, we are something else other than love. And I also agree with Rob. I think that you have to have love. Well, you already have love. You have to know that you have love in order to give love because you can't give what you haven't got. Mm. But I personally believe that once you realize that, I believe that love is infinite. Like I can give my love to so many people and never feel a lack of it in myself because it's free to give um, and it, it never doesn't run out. I think... I think when you know why people like when people meditate and and it, it really works for them, and they can quiet the mind. Everyone feels better. I, and I think it's it's really fear, fear that stops love. Fear is is what stops us from having that love. So if but we Rob, can take you know, away the fear, you know, you said that you have to be above the line. Does that mean then that you have to be in the you're saying you have to be in a positive state yourself, and then because you are happy, then you can give the love to someone else. Mm. But the but you've been you, the, yeah. But your your um when we ask is love an action or a feeling? You're saying that you yourself have to feel good, but in order to love someone, you need to take action. So in other words, you start with a feeling within you, then you act, and that love, that act generates love between you. So the love that you, like the love in terms of the doing, is powered by the love that you have. So if you don't have the fear, like you have your own internal love, um, and you don't restrict that from the fear, then you can be loving. Yeah. So it all starts with self-love. Yes. Self. Yes. Self mastery. If you can just stop. And and this is why a lot of the time, you know, Alan's talked about the nature of institutions, the nature of other organisations is that they want to control in some way. Because otherwise, all that there is, the basic building block of society is people. 
And yet we're all bowing down to government. We're all bowing down to this big corporation that we feel small in, in, in all, but they don't actually exist. They're an idea that we agree on. Um, and so if we, um, but what happens is the organizations and the structures that we've built in order to support us, we've grown up be believing that they control us. And so it's recognizing that the, you know, they're the tail, we're the dog. I think you've got it in one there, Rob. Yeah, definitely. The, edu the education system that does, you know, we are all human beings. Our primary function is emotion. Every single thing that we do, whether it's eating a tin of beans, I like it, someone else doesn't. Is it the colour? Is it the shape? Is it the texture? Well, it's the emotional release that you receive when you eat that tin of beans or whatever it might be that you're doing that that will indicate whether you like something or, or whether you don't. And there's so many different, you know, emotions that's available, millions and millions of emotions that are impossible to describe. And I think that's why we're, we're struggling over love because how the emotional response I would get when I'm in love with somebody is different, I assume, because it's impossible to measure than what somebody else would feel. But we don't get taught about it in school. We don't get taught about in making a decision based upon an emotion. We'll go into a shop and we'll, we'll see something and we'll, we'll buy it on impulse. That's, a, that's an emotion. We'll do, we'll do something that we shouldn't do because of um, an emotion. And but it's not it's not taught because understanding your emotions is 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 so empowering. It really is. And um, I don't think it's ever going to change because it it will give power to to the masses. Yeah. Like what you're saying about the tail, the, the tail wagging the dog. Mm. And also, uh, love is free. Um, whereas, yeah, so there's this, so who's going to propagate it? It's not in anyone's interest. So it's something that we have to, that's what the idea of the rebellion is because you have to claim it for yourself. Well, it's like now, you know, we, we can't go to the shop. We can't go to the pub. So what do you spend your money on? You spend people, people are gaining weight. Because and myself included, because the only emotion, uh, the only emotion that we can gain is through eating. We can't really gain it through anything else. Um, but that that goes to show that, that how shallow this society is. If if we're looking to, you know, get get emotional gratitude in, in that kind of way, isn't it through um, consumerism? Yeah, because the food is basically causing that feeling for you. But you can actually, as soon as when once you had that feelings, you can reproduce with your brain. Once you experience it and you do do it this cautiously, you can reproduce, you can remember for it if you do with the feelings. With your five cents, you know. You've got two, haven't you? Sorry, Alicia. No, you go. No, go ahead, honestly. 
I was, I, I do find it um, a struggle to base anything on just emotion because I, I personally feel emotions are very fickle. So like, I would never want to get into a relationship with somebody just based on the way that I felt because how I feel changes like the wind and my temperament is very emotionally. Like I have to work quite hard to level it out. Naturally, I'm very up and down. So I would not want to go into any sort of relationship with just based on emotion because it just does not last that long. And, and I, I don't know about uh, Alan and, and Janice, but I don't. I often don't know what my emotion is. So I think exactly nobody knows that. I think it's more a, a gender thing that I think a lot of men we just don't. Yeah, it's more from your emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Male emotions. I actually don't want to insult you guys. I was going to make a joke. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Men and women are so different. I love it. <laughs> but if I have to describe the emotion, it's basically the what it's connecting to your muscles and that's wired to your brain and sending the informations. And that's how you can experience it. That's how I could describe emotions. It's more like an engine, what you got quite close to your heart or to your guts. That's why you got that feeling sometimes in your guts or you got in your close to your chest. If you go back for 2000 back in the history, everybody pointing to their chest because that's there they feel the first emotion level. Then to their guts, that's their seconds. And the third one might be sometimes the head with the headache. That's your nervous system. And you've got two brains, the one in your gut and the one in your head. And your heart, when the adrenaline pumps, your heart rate goes up. And that makes that that's the manifestation of it. But your emotions are your nervous system. Wired, exactly. into, your, wired into your endocrine system, your hormones, and the two things work together. So um yeah, it is we can bring it down to the physical, but nonetheless, it is um and there's the primal, the primal um, reactions, which I suppose you can't control, uh, and that. But then there's the level-headed bit. The, the brain goes into rational thought, and that that I suppose is what Alicia is alluding to. That you need to bring that into play rather than the um, <laughs> than the adrenaline running all over the place. Um, but it's a combination of the two. So it's 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 the body reacting to that stimulus, um, that visual stimulus, but your senses, all of your senses come into play. And so your body is a vehicle for all of those um, stimuli that are coming at you. And it's the brain that seeks to interpret it and rationalize what it actually is. Mm. Well, you can like even have an emotion about something that's not even happening. Like you can literally think a thought, like a memory or an imagined reality, a future. And you can have an emotional reaction to it, but it's not even happening right now. Like I feel like I used to be so emotionally led, but it just led me to in circles because I think emotions are indicators. They shouldn't be dictators. True. Yeah. True.
Okay, well, thank you everyone for, for being here. Um, so I think we've, we've come um, to the end of, of tonight. Um, and I've got some uh, other uh, topics I'll be putting up. We'll maybe develop more about mastery and um, some of the other ideas. Excuse me, Rob, before you finish, Alan has a comment here. Some men have three brains. I'm sorry, but I need to know what the third brain is. I know, I was, I, we were, we were, go on then, Alan. Uh, I'm not willing to lower the tone. Okay, okay. This is the judgment of society. I thought you would have got that one, Sandra, but not to worry. I was wondering if you're being, um, well, I didn't hey, think I'm, admi I'm admitting there. to nothing. I'm admitting to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me some scientific thing. <laughs> so oh, no, no. No. <laughs> but we'll, we'll have um Alan Alan's gonna take next week on, on men's third brain. <laughs> It'll be short and sweet. <laughs> We've heard Alan. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well thanks everyone for being here and hopefully see you next week good night everyone thank you see you goodbye